Hey folks, Sam Jones here. Welcome to another edition of Off Camera, the show where I get to talk to iconic, creative, curious artists and find out how they got that way. And in this episode, I sit down with actor, writer, director, and former Weekend Update correspondent, Bill Hader. As a high school kid growing up in Oklahoma, Bill Hader received a progress report from his French teacher that had remarkable foresight. Bill is very funny in class. He'll probably be on Saturday Night Live one day, it read. Although the next part was, he got a 37% on this test and he probably won't be speaking French. Bill had a natural gift for doing voices and impressions. And years later, he would indeed join Saturday Night Live. And for eight years, he brought memorable characters to life, including fan favorites like his exasperated Vincent Price, the lecherous Italian Vinnie Viducci, and, of course, Weekend Update correspondent Stefan. As one of the most talented cast members on the show, it's hard to believe Bill when he tells me that it was never his dream to be on Saturday Night Live. After his eight-year stint on that show and roles in a number of films, like The Skeleton Twins, Trainwreck, and Inside Out, Bill is finally realizing his dream with Barry, his upcoming HBO show about a hitman who really wants to be an actor. Bill directs, writes, and stars on the show. And because he favors truthfulness over funny gags, it's one of the most unique shows on television. In comedy, he says, it's so easy to come up with gags and little bits. It's a lot harder to make a person's emotional journey make sense. Bill Hader joins off camera to discuss storytelling and Barry, struggling with anxiety on Saturday Night Live, why he waited so long to pursue his filmmaking dream, and why everyone in his hometown thought he would. So pull up a chair and listen in. Hey, Bill. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was thinking that it's surprising that you haven't been on yet, considering the proximity Yes. That you often are from this very place. Yes. And, and uh, we were talking earlier, but I love the idea that if we ever get in a pinch, can we yeah. just call you? You just call Someone, me, man. Someone's I'm sick. dropping my kids off across the street, yeah. and uh, we live, like, super close to each yeah. other. So, Well, we have a lot in common. We have three daughters each. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people think I built this studio for the show, uh-huh. but I actually built it as a place where... I could close myself in and have a moment <laughs> yeah, of peace. Yeah, exactly. I got a white room where no yeah. one can bother me. Yes, that's also that's what they do with people when they go insane. Uh, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Yes. This is a multi-purpose room. Yeah, it's exactly. Room. Yeah, exactly. It's a sanitarium. Yeah, it's a place yeah, where. And occasionally, it's a TV show. It's where Dad goes to think. Yeah. <laughs> Dad's thinking again. Dad's thinking in his white room. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen. I, I've been a fan for a long time, oh, and, and uh, I'm amazed with your career. I, I love the Documentary Now series. I've seen four episodes of Barry. Oh, wow. And okay. it's great. Oh, thanks. And, and it's interesting, and it's almost like I don't want to say too much because there's a joy in discovering this show and, and seeing how it unfolds. But, but basically, you play, a, uh, you play a hitman who stumbles into an acting class. <laughs> but what, it, what is interesting about the show to me is that it doesn't seem to stay in any one genre. Yeah. There are some really hilarious moments. There's some really dramatic moments. There's like tense, like uh, action film moments. Yeah. The lines are blurred between how you would categorize the show. Yeah, I like that though. It's this weird combination of being, uh, uh, you know, reading and watching and listening to a, a wide variety of things, and uh, and being a huge fan of all these kind of desperate things 
And then also just trying to just go with what the emotion of the characters are. Right. And it was always like, well, what, what, what do you do now? Or what would happen right now? And sometimes those things would line up in a funny way. And then sometimes it would, because of the nature of him being a hitman, it's like, well, he would have to kill this person or he has to kill this person. But how does he do it? How does it affect him emotionally? Because what I thought was interesting was that this isn't a kind of glib hitman. Like, the violence shouldn't be funny. Right. That was a big thing because... um, you know, it's about a guy who, he's really good at killing people, but it's destroying him. And so he wants to, but what he wants to do is be an actor and get in touch with some emotions and, and things like that. And he's bad at that. You know, right, we just right. thought that was a really funny, uh, uh, so what you do is you, you come up with a weird premise like that, and then you just try to play it as realistically as possible. So is it a comedy you know? in your head? Some, no, I just think it's about a guy. It's just, you know, you're just following this guy. Right. You know, and it's like life in a way where, you know, you just, you go, oh, we'd have to kill him. And then, you, you know, I think your brain immediately goes to, well, it's a comedy, so him killing this person should be funny. And you go, no, 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 it should just be what it is, which is brutal and sad. So do you have that, that debate with yourself on set where you're going... Oh, I know how to make this funnier, but yeah. I shouldn't. It happens in so many different areas of the show. Uh, you know, we'll we'll say, uh, you know, there's a scene where I have to I have to kill this guy in his backyard, and I said he should have. We should see uh, kid toys, so we should just have the the thing that this guy has a, ch- a child, right? And uh, not hit it over the head and not have Barry You don't have a scene a with the, and the, the child guy. watching. Or yeah, whatever, or he yeah. kills the guy and looks up and sees, like, I love you, Daddy, picture or whatever. But you should see the evidence of a kid. So, uh, you know, there's a kid now that doesn't have a dad. And, um, you know, we, we talked about it and talked about it. And I remember at one point someone going, well, what if... He can't kill him, so he takes some of the kid toys and has to, you know, whatever. And it was like, no. That's and a different a, show. A, that's a different show. And it's like, but at least it's funny. Just he'll keep the, the mood buoyant and stuff because the way it is right now, it's just so brutal. And it's like, well, that's what murder is. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what to tell you, but murder is pretty brutal. I don't know how else to do it, but, you know. And, uh, I like so that you're explaining this thing. in the writer's room. But Let me explain but what murder is. I get, but I get it in a way of when you're trying to stay to the tone of something, you know? And it's, it's all about tone and going, well, we got to keep this buoyant, you know? And we would just decide, well, let's not. And he just, what if he just chokes the guy? And it just takes a long time. That's it. And people go, really? And you go, yeah, yeah, let's, I just let's do that. And so... You do it, and then it was great. We showed some of the episodes, and David Benioff, who does Game of Thrones, yeah. went, wow, that scene in the backyard's brutal. And I'm like, you make Game of Thrones? <laughs> <laughs> you know, where people are like, I mean, babies are massacred on that show, yeah. you know? But for some reason, he's like, that was rough, watching that you just smother that guy for a while. There's a discomfort in that the genre isn't, isn't um, we don't have it. In in our our brain, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, we know yeah. what kind of show this is. Yeah, you don't have the the full grammar of it. Where you're like, well, this should be having some sort of like 
like funk music over it, right? Because it's like a, a Tarantino thing, or it's this kind of thing, or that thing, or yeah. whatever. And I always appreciated just again, it was like uh, you kind of come up with a genre type story, but then you play it incredibly real, and you take out elements that would make it feel like a genre and just just show it for what it is. And that was the trick in the writers' room is anytime we could clue in on something where I would say, you know, or Alec Berg would say, does everybody relate to that? That's the emotion behind it, you know, and it just takes forever to is, figure is there, that out. Is there any connective tissue between having to figure out the, the logic of a sketch and, and what you're doing on this, or, or are, they, are the two things totally different? Uh, they're different. Like on Documentary Now, we did this thing, uh, Blue Jean Committee. Yes. About the band. And that could have been very sketchy, which it was. I mean, we had big, broad moves in that, that they went to sausage school and all this stuff. Right. But then the ending of it, we got to this thing where well, these two guys haven't seen each other, and there's a lot of animosity between them. And I, I give credit to Reese Thomas and Alex Bono where they we hadn't written anything for when we actually see each other at the end of that show. Right. And they said, just, just I think it should just be awkward and just... You know, that's how it would be, you know? How would it really be? And you would just, you would make kind of promises that you know you're not gonna keep, you know? Hey, I'll see you later, but you know you're never gonna see the guy again. And it became much more dramatic and you realized, uh, uh, you know, like we shot that and it felt really good and Reese and Alex were like high-fiving each other. But there was a part of Fred and I that were like, well, what's the joke? Is it funny? Is it like, what? Like it needs, we're doing a funny show. Isn't the tone of this uh, airplane, you know, Naked right. Gun, you know? And it was like, no, 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 this is good. And they saw a thing I think I didn't even see. And so when I saw it cut together, I went, wow, that was really great. Oh, wow, you can do that with this tone. You can match that a bit. And uh, it gave me confidence going into Barry that... Uh, you you do give yourself these rules and you have to kind of like, let's just ignore them. And HBO is a great place to ignore those things uh, because I think if we went into HBO and said we want to do a broad comedy where I'm playing a bunch of different characters, they'd be like, oh, we're not really interested in that. But when I say, oh, I want to play a former Marine that's dealing with the fact that he kills people for a living and he wants to take an acting class to get in touch with his emotions, they're like, that sounds hilarious. <laughs> you know? But uh, they just were really behind it from the get-go. And the fact that we, you know, in, in the first uh, meeting with HBO, I said, you know, the violence has to be pretty real, you know? Yeah, oh, absolutely. It was never a question. Right. It was never, they saw cuts of the show, and I would always go, oh, brother, okay, they're not going to be into this. And they went, yeah, that was, wow, that was disturbing. Love it, you know? <laughs> or, wow, that was crazy. Uh, and then on set, kind of an earlier question you had of, it is so hard to try to convince, because uh, they do it for a living, stunt guys, when they get shot, they do the dance thing. Right. You know, when they get shot. They make a meal of dying. They go, blah, 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 and they fall down. And uh, Wade Allen, our, uh, our stunt coordinator, had a reel put together on his phone of people actually being shot. Well, that's great. That was awesome. I hope, I hope his kids didn't find so his phone. So much fun. God. And... Uh, <laughs> And, you know, and it was this thing of you have to do nothing, you know? It's like you just, you know, it was like doing take after take of something of just going, like, less, you know? Right. Less. Like, it's, it's a light switch going off, you know? And uh, 
and framing it in a way that's very uh, just more locked off and less pushing in and people getting shot up. It's just locked off shot. Right. People get shot. And it's a murder. Like, oh, we don't have yeah. to over-dramatize it. Yeah, just you should feel uncomfortable or uh, thrown by it as opposed to that was rad. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. but I, I hear what you're saying, and I think that the scary thing to go that realistic or, you know, steering away from things that you know will play funny or will play funny on the day. We've all seen films where they didn't know the tone they were trying to go for. Yeah, it's that William Goldman quote of, you know, I think he's in the, the book The Season where he talks about uh, why a thing didn't work because the actor's in one play, the director's directing another play. The, right. The writer wrote another play and the set designer made another play. You know what I mean? It just, it's not connecting. And I remember uh, after seeing, after the second or third week of Barry, turning to Alan, Alec Berg and I was like, I think we're all making the same show. And he's like, I had the same thought. <laughs> you know, you just, right. you, it's so many people that you have to kind of harness uh, to, to see the same thing. Well, what you're talking about is, uh, it's really like the difference between a first time director in a lot of cases mm -hmm. and someone who's made a bunch of films. Someone who could say, when, the, when you get the best special effects guy in the business and he says, we can make it look like this, to be able to sit there and go, nah, yeah, yeah. we're not gonna do that. <laughs> yeah. Because I think a lot of first time directors would let the special effects coordinator direct that scene. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And I, this, is, this is your, I mean, this is your directorial debut, correct? Mm -hmm. So uh, what, do you, what do you attribute like, the ability to have the confidence to, to make those decisions like a, a more experienced director? I think probably, probably being on Saturday Night Live, I think being on that show and You'd have to produce your sketches, so okay. you would say, "Okay, we're going to do this Vincent Price thing. So this is what the set looks like. We want a door that turns like this. We want a coffin thing that, be like, you know, the piano could be here. You know, we're involved with all that and what everyone's wearing and what the hair should be. Right. So when people come out, so you sure directing your sketches? Yeah, when people come out, you go, "Uh, that hair is wrong. It shouldn't. Yeah, can we bring Betty out here? Maybe." Could the wig be this? You know, you just, that problem solving, that practical problem solving um, that never goes away. Did you feel any anxiety about that first day or? No, I, I didn't really worry about that that much. I think I was really excited. And I'm a really anxious person. I have like, I have like legit anxiety, you know what I mean? I'm, I've, have, uh, I think I probably have an anxiety disorder, <laughs> you know, but but it's more about, um, you know, being on Saturday Night Live, being up on stage. But actually making a thing is great because it's problem solving, you know, so you're just there practically going, looking at it because you know, I know I can change it, you know, or someone might have a better idea. And, That's so interesting. Know. But when it's locked in place and there's an audience there and I can't change anything, uh, I don't like that at all. I get, I get, I, uh, I'm hosting Saturday Night Live next week and I'm going to be a wreck. Like I have to fully prepare just myself. Just saying that right now, do something Oh to you. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get like flu symptoms. I just start to feel really dizzy and I get really like, my arms get really heavy and I'm just like, oh, what is, I can't go out. And I remember, I remember one time, this is the biggest name drop in the world, I'm sorry, but uh, I was backstage at SNL and I'm like, 
my head spinning and I'm like, can I get some coffee? <laughs> Paul McCartney's next to me. And Paul McCartney's like, oh, Joe, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're nervous. That's what that is. So no, you drink coffee, it's just gonna make it worse. You should have some water. Or maybe a little tea, maybe. And I was like, okay, Paul McCartney. <laughs> He's just sitting there You're in the hallway me. like this. He's like, well, you know what you are? You're nervous. <laughs> That's what that is. Wow. Well, I, I mean, it's crazy to hear you say that. And the fact that you did, what, eight years on Saturday Night Yeah, and I never... How did you, how did you survive? I mean, the first four years at SNL, I was like, I'm going to be fired at any moment. And I remember Lauren Michaels came up to me after a show and he said, you know, you, you could uh, work here as long as you want. You know, just relax. You know? Really? Yeah, I mean, for the first four years on SNL, I didn't sleep on Fridays, so I just couldn't sleep. So when I was doing the show, I'd been up for basically, like, you know, 48 hours or something. And I just, uh, so from Thursday when I woke up until Saturday at like 4 a.m. when we would get home, I was just up because of the anxiety of having to do the show and I would have one line I'd be you know here's your coffee sir but I would just be you know what if I put the coffee on the wrong what if what if what if what if what if nice. and so I see it when I watch um, reruns or watch things I can see it I can go, you can oh. see your own anxiety when you watch oh it. yeah yeah I, it's uh, for me it's so apparent but I do this thing where I kind of my, I do that when I'm talking. I'll be talking to someone. If you watch it, I do it all the time where I'm in a sketch and I just will do that. And that's it's like an involuntary uh, twitch because I'm so wound up so tight. Really? Um, and then by the end of my time there, it kind of chilled out. And unfortunately, I started laughing a lot in sketches. <laughs> well, <laughs> because, that's so nice. Because I started calming down a bit or I was kind of weirdly combating it with uh, with just uh, 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 this uh, oh I don't care it was like the end of the wild bunch it was like every episode was like a suicide mission so I was just like laughing and stuff <laughs> it was so it was hard man it was always uh, I you know uh, yeah, the impersonation that uh, Chris, our, one of our stage managers, his impersonation of me is this. Because I would do that. I'd be like backstage just doing that with my arms. Trying pacing, to physically shake the anxiety like, from the your body. anxiety out of my body and I'd be pacing around going, oh, fuck, come on, you know, like just so. And so he just, yeah, I would always laugh about that. And then he would always go, you're going to be fine. You're going to be all right. So anytime I was like ever on update, they push you out. He's the guy who pushed me out, and he would always be like consoling me. <laughs> I'd be sitting in the chair, you know, dressed as Stefan or Carville or whatever, and he'd be patting my back like it's gonna be fine. You're gonna be okay. <laughs> and then he would push wow. me out. And then once you're out there, it's kind of like you. It's you could feel it ebbing out of you. You know, it's 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 okay. It's I'm out here. It's happening, and you could feel it kind of. You know. I watch your performances, and you're completely present, and I find you like one of the quicker minds I've ever seen on that show. And hearing that you were battling that. Uh, yeah, the whole time. It's kind of surprising well, to me. Well, a lot of times that quickness is I've, I've been practicing that uh, ad nauseum in my dressing room. So, so much of that is like I'm reading this sketch over and over and over and over and over again 
to the point where when I'm out there, you kind of just let it fly. And what helped me was a couple of things. One was I started doing, medita I started meditating. Uh, that was helpful. Um, and I mean, I had a doctor say, you should maybe just have a drink. <laughs> And I was like, no, like, uh, I don't really drink. I don't really doctor, do, I don't like do drugs. I'd be like, why don't you, uh, yeah, smoke a joint before you go out. I'm like, no, no. A little bit of heroin. A little bit of right heroin before. will be so nice. And I'm like, no, I can't do that. But I would meditate. That was helpful. And then, uh, and then I would do this trick with my brain where I would come out. And if my first line, I played so many game show hosts on that show. And yes. And I, my first line would be like, hello, ladies and gentlemen. That would be my first line. I would say, hello, hello, boys and girls, or something else. Or like, how we doing, gang? Or something else. Other than this, what was Other written what in the script. Because then it would trick my brain into going, you screwed up. This is what you're afraid of. You screwed up. And you're still here. Lights are here. Everything's fine. And it would immediately relax me. Isn't that weird? That's so It was weird. It was like a... So I went to a therapist and she's like, what are you nervous about? I'm like, I think it's just something going wrong, you know? So I was like, why don't you just make something go wrong immediately and your brain will relax. And it worked. It really worked for me. Did it get to Tom the point where... <laughs> God. <laughs> or, Fred, or Fred Armisen would just do something to make me laugh. Because that's the other reason I, I, I corpse so easily is because I'm really tense. But you corpse so oh, easily. Oh, yeah, that, that's the term for laughing, you know? You, uh, you, yeah, you corpse... And I, Fred Armisen just had my number on every, you know, those Californian sketches. He would just elongate, what? Like, he would just do one little thing. What are you doing like that? And I would start laughing because I was wound up so tight, you know? Yeah, it's like, it's like why some people, like, especially kids, you know, you get them laughing. And, uh, like, uh, with my kids... My daughter, if I touch her, the back of her neck in a certain <laughs> spot, I know now it doesn't even tickle her. She's just conditioned. Yeah, they're just, yeah, that. And again, she's right it's, there. It's the anticipation of it. It's the, when we do Stefan and John Mulaney would change little things in the card to make, because he knows it'll make me laugh because I'm tense and there's a new thing there that I'm not expecting and I'll start laughing. Hey folks, let's take a little break from the conversation so I can tell you about this week's sponsor, BetterHelp Online Counseling. If you think you may be depressed, or if you're feeling anxious, stressed, or overwhelmed, BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are trained to listen and to help. Now, with BetterHelp, you can talk with your counselor in a private online environment at your own convenience from wherever you're comfortable. BetterHelp counselors have expertise in a broad range of areas, such as, you know, anxiety, depression, grief. They deal with relationships, sleep disorders, LGBT matters, self-esteem, family conflict, and more. They can give you access to help that may not be available in your area. So what you do is you fill out a questionnaire and it helps assess your specific needs and you get matched with your counselor in under 48 hours. And then you can easily schedule secure video or phone sessions with your therapist. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages. Everything you share is confidential. And if for any reason you're unhappy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time at no additional charge. So join the million plus people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced BetterHelp counselor. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp, they are currently recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. 
BetterHelp is an affordable option for therapy, and our listeners get 10% off the first month with the discount code CAMERA. You can get started today at BetterHelp.com CAMERA. That's BetterHelp.com CAMERA. Now back to the show. So knowing a little bit of your history, I know that your route, your route to Saturday Night Live was, was very different than a lot of people's. Um, and we've had about 10 people on the show who have done Saturday Night Live. And most of them say that the minute they saw the show, it was their dream to be on it one day. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't, your, that wasn't your deal at all, right? No, I, was, I moved out here to be a filmmaker, to make movies and, and write movies. And right. That was always my goal from the get-go. And so I my little group of friends, and we go see every movie on Friday and, and go to a diner afterwards and argue about what was good and what wasn't good. And I spent all my time thinking and watching movies and reading books. And, you know, that, that, uh, that was it, you know. And nothing was happening for, you know, six years. I was just a PA. Were you making short films or were I you would, writing? No, because... I was writing. I think I was too um, self-conscious to say, well, I want to direct. I was, I was not a, uh, uh, I'm from Oklahoma. It's like, you know, it's, you don't, if you say what you want to do, if you're boisterous at all or confident people, you know, it, it's, it's an ugly quality. Um, Is that what you were taught? Yeah, like, like, Yeah, you know, it's just don't, just relax. Really? <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of like, in general, uh, it's very, very sweet, uh, modest people, you know, and anything that seemed immodest or whatever. Uh, or above your station. Above your station or whatever. Um, so would you have one voice in your head that would say, I want to direct a film, and the other voice would go, calm down? Yeah, well, how? <laughs> yeah, well, don't, you can't say you're a director and you haven't done anything, you know? Or I mean, I didn't have the, I didn't say I was an actor. I couldn't call myself an actor until I was in this movie Skeleton Twins. Right. Did that, and then I was like, oh, okay, so I guess I'm an actor now, you know, because I just, well, I've done sketch. It's like, you know, you, anyway. But I, 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 I harbored this, uh, this, this, you know, I wanted to be a director. And then uh, I PA'd, and then you, you, you find yourself in this position where you've, you haven't done anything creative. You came out to L.A. to be creative, and you're just sitting around, um, uh, you know, uh, delivering film elements to Photochem and, <laughs> you know, and just driving around and, and going, what am I doing? So I took classes at Second City L.A. because I had this friend, Eric Filipkowski, who was like, hey, do you want to see my Level 5 show at Second City L.A.? And I went, sure. And I went, and I went, oh, wow, all these people are doing sketch comedy. Well, I like Monty Python and stuff like that. Maybe I'll go do that. I'll take classes. So weird that you wanted to be a filmmaker, but you didn't take filmmaking classes. No, I, I'd taken, I went to the New York Film Academy, those, the, the you know, they advertise in the, well, yeah, in the back of the, the back uh, of Premier Magazine right. or whatever. Um, so in 1996, I did that. But um, I couldn't get into any good film schools because my grades were bad. And so I went to a community college in Scottsdale, Arizona. I don't know why. In Arizona. Crazy fact, David Spade also went to the same community college. 
Really? But so he she, he was born in Arizona. Yeah, he was, right? yeah, he, he was born in Arizona, so that makes sense. But you went from Oklahoma to Arizona. To Arizona. Don't ask me why. I have no idea. And so you I, you were in danger of becoming lost on some path. Oh, totally, totally. My folks were like, I remember coming home, and my mom in tears, and she said, "You got rejected from OU, Oklahoma University." Like. Like the state school didn't accept you. And they, Aren't they like, supposed to have to take you? Yeah, and she's like, they just said no, and I was like, oh, jeez, uh, well, that's not good. And uh, I remember they had a scholastic night at our school where it was like participation trophies or whatever. And I went to a school with like seventy kids were in our graduation graduating class. Oh, tiny school. Yeah, and me and this other dude, Ryan Fisher, were the only two people not invited. <laughs> So I just remember being at a park with Ryan Fisher, like smoking cigarettes, like, well, fuck them, man. We don't need them, you know. We'll be all right. It doesn't matter, you know. And it's like, I mean, they were giving, you know, uh, ribbons out for like, showed up to class, you know. Paid attention ribbon, you know. And I think everybody thought I was on drugs in high school or something. I had like, kind of like long hair and I had like a goatee and I looked like Charles Manson kind of. Um, but it was, I just liked movies and... I don't know. I remember I had an English teacher go, wait, hater, you don't smoke the doobage? <laughs> yeah, you got doctors go, asking you to drink. Uh, you got teachers. Yeah. Teachers being like, you should smoke that, weed. Like, you yeah. have to smoke weed because your grades are abysmal. You have to be stoned all the time. And I'm like, there's got to be a reason. No, no, I'm just, I just, I'm just watching a lot of movies and reading a bunch of like, you know, so, science fiction books. <laughs> I mean, okay. So here's, here's, help me with this because I, like, I watch you on Saturday Night Live, and clearly you're one of the most, like, you're one of the funniest and most talented people I've ever seen on that show. Oh, that's and, nice. And what I'm curious about is, do you, do you think that at all during your formative years, your childhood, if, if you steered away from those natural instincts, or if you had them and didn't recognize them, or if, or if nobody recognized them, you know what I mean? Cause yeah, I, yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean. It's like... Like, I always did impressions of people, you know, or, you know, I went and, because my high school girlfriend was auditioning for the Glass Menagerie, I went and auditioned, and I got into the, I got, there's four parts in that play, and I, I got in the play. Right. And was kind of like, oh, that's weird. You didn't get a ribbon right. for that? I didn't get a ribbon for that. It was a gentleman caller in Glass Menagerie, but... But that didn't say to you, oh, this is what I should be doing? Uh, no, it was like a thing to do. And it was the same thing to me as, uh, you know, playing basketball or something. But I will say when I was in the the best review I ever got was my dad coming up to me after that play. And he was so, because he really, you know, Oklahoma, it's like big sports kind of thing. And, and um I was really tall for my age, and so basketball or football, and I mean, I was in a lot of sports when I was growing up. Right. But I was never a fan, really. I remember going, oh, I'm in the play. I hope my dad's cool with me being in the play or whatever. And he was ecstatic. He went, you were so good. How'd you memorize all those lines and I, this? And his enthusiasm, I think, really meant a lot to me. So I think I, I kind of, uh, an acceptance of it, I think I, it was this little thing in the back of my head kind of going like, well, maybe you're good at that. You know, and then when I went to Second City, LA, years later, uh, I it was uh, another moment where I went, okay, maybe I'm kind of good at this. You Is know? there an example of an early moment of Second City where 
like a light bulb went on for you? Honestly, you had to audition to get into the final two levels there. And uh, I did my audition and they had like these evaluating things where the head of the theater would call you over. It's this weird thing, we're all in the parking lot over in Crescent Heights, you know where the improv is? Yeah. Crescent Heights. So that parking lot next to it, we're all milling around there, smoking cigarettes, drinking coffee, and the head of the you know, second city LA is over in the corner, and he would call you over to Just to the other head, part of the parking lot. Just the other part of the parking lot to say, <laughs> you, you, you didn't make it in, or you were great, but you need to work on blank. You know, you need to work on this or whatever. And I remember he called me over and he just went, uh, and he was looking at his notes, he went, you're, uh, you're really good at this. Yeah, you're in. And he was like, okay, uh, so-and-so, you know, and that was all he said was, you're really good at this. And no one had told me I was good at anything <laughs> for years. You know, it was like I'd make a short film and it, I, I would get in my head and go, oh, this stinks, and I wouldn't cut it together because, you know, you had, you know, your friends at that age are like, you know, if it's not taxi driver, it's right. like, what is this, dude? You know, and you're like, you know, that. And um, it was the bad thing about hanging out with film geeks. We all were so hard on things because you're, it had to be the best thing imaginable because you were only measuring your head towards the best films, the best you know writing, the best everything. And very rarely do you achieve that. It has to come in steps. Right. You know? And I would get in my head and go, oh, this isn't what I want it to be. This isn't good. And so it was a lot of insecurity. So having someone say, hey, you're really good at this meant a lot. Right. And then very quickly after that was when Megan Mullally called me when I, I was a, an assistant editor at um, Iron Chef America and uh, I was you know the nighttime assistant editor on that show and uh, so you were very close to just like becoming like a yeah an a editor post-production guy yeah, yeah I would be like a post-production coordinator kind of person and uh, I was doing that and uh, and I was in a Second City show, and her brother-in-law, Matt Offerman, Nick Offerman's brother, was in that show. And uh, Matt and I are friends, and Megan Lally called me and said, hey, I just, I know you don't know me, but I was at the show uh, last week. I had dinner with Lauren Michaels yesterday, and I told him about you, and he, he'd love to meet you. And I was like, And how long have you been doing Second City at this point? Like a year. And wow. I was just, and I, w I just went, uh, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and then, you know, like, someone beeps in and it's a New York number. And I'm like, hello. And I was like, hi, my name is Lindsay Shookus. I work at the talent department at SNL. Uh, Lauren Michaels would love to meet you. Can you fly out uh, tomorrow? Sure. You know, and I, next thing I know, I'm in an office with Lauren. And he's like, do you know why you're here? <laughs> <laughs> I go, um, you saw Megan Lally saw me in a show. And he's like, yeah. Uh, and then he said, I was on a boat once with a guy, and he was being funny in the way that Bill Murray's funny. And I thought to myself, I know Bill Murray. And that was it. And I go, right. That was it. And he goes, it was very nice meeting you. Uh, when are you flying back? I go, I was going to fly back tomorrow. It was Friday. And he goes, you should stay and watch the show. Stay and watch the show on Saturday. And that was it. That and was the entire I, meeting. Yeah. And, uh, and then I, the Topher Grace, when Topher Grace hosted SNL, he was taking questions from the audience, and it cuts to the audience, and you see way in the background me and Mike Shoemaker 
standing against the thing. If you find it, yeah, it's me in a white shirt. You know, like, what am I doing here? I can't believe I'm here right now. This is And so that's cool. just in the audience. You can't believe you're in the audience. I can't even believe I'm in the audience. And I just went, well, I'll be able to tell my grandkids. I one time met Lauren Michaels. I was on Saturday Night Live. I, I actually was on Saturday Night Live. You could see me way in the background. Like I, And that would have been enough. That would have been enough. I mean, I went back elated and... So you, you know, go back and you're cutting Iron Chef America? Yeah, I was like, this is rad. Well, I just, you know, actually, I was, uh, I didn't say anything to anybody. I, no one knew. I said, oh, I got to take off tomorrow. And That's got to be the weirdest thing in the world. Yeah, so I didn't say anything to anybody. And then he came to L.A. and saw me at Second City. We totally packed the audience with our friends, so we blew the roof off the place. And Lauren was, was like, were those all your friends in the audience? <laughs> and I said, yes. He's like, all right, then you have to come He's to like, New York. I've seen this trick before. He's like, ah, yes, no. Ellen Cleghorn did this. And, uh, <laughs> and then he had me come out to New York. And, um, and so they f- flew me out to New York with this, Im- this sketch group I was in. And... Um, and at UCB Theater on 26th Street, and in the audience was all these kind of New York improvisers going, who, who the fuck are these guys? And in the front row was Tina Fey, Seth Meyers, Amy Poehler, Lauren, Marcy Klein, like everybody. And How, what'd that do for the anxiety? Uh, oh, gosh. I just was going to pass out. I was like, this is just too much. This is just too much. I can't. But you know what the problem with it at that point? It wasn't that. It was too much. But there was also part of me that was like, I got nothing to lose. You know, like, this is cool. You know, we'll see what happens. Right. I got nothing to lose. It wasn't your dream. It was like, well, this is crazy. Let's see what happens. Um, <laughs> but it was really nerve-wracking. And then, and then the bad thing was then you get the show and you're elated. Right. And that's when the real anxiety kicked in for me was that now you have something to lose and and like you said it was never a thing you kind of dreamed of but you were a fan of SNL right obviously it wasn't like I wasn't a fan but I wasn't kind of like the all-consuming comedy fan that like Andy and those guys were well it seems like you know when you skip steps like that it it could be a very, I would assume, Jarring. unbalancing oh, thing. Oh, for four years, I was very aware of that, and then the anxiety didn't help. And then, uh, so it was, it was a real thing of having to push through this and, and then realizing, like, this is never going to go away. I just have to manage it. Right. Yeah. It's just, I think, part of being an anxious person is you just worry a lot, and you're always looking at... You only think in worst-case scenarios, you know. Right. Did Christmas. it manifest itself more on, on a show like Saturday Night Live than it does, say, uh, when you're filming Skeleton Twins or, or when you're doing Barry? Oh, I'm so happy uh, filming stuff. I'm never... Even uh, though you have to star in it. You know, I've starred, directing, writing, all that stuff. I'm so much more relaxed. I feel like in my element, doing that much more than... Uh, performing live or something. You know, I've been asked to do theater... And stuff like that, and I don't think I could. Uh, th- that is just like a whole other thing that I'm, I'm so impressed with. Or stand up too. When I watch stand ups, I just oh, okay. like yeah. Well, it's so interesting to me that 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 with so little experience, you were thrust into the biggest, you know, yeah, the example of of what American sketch comedy is on television. The height of that, like yeah. when even when you go out and it works, the first message would be, "Well, I got lucky that time." Yeah, exactly. No way. You're like 
you're just a constantly waiting for someone to tap you on the shoulder and be like, excuse me, what are you doing in here? <laughs> you know, and you go, um, they hired me. <laughs> and it's like, no, 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 come, come with us, come with us. Did you find any joy in doing it? Like, where, where, where was the joy in Saturday Night Live? Uh, uh, there was a couple of times, like, on the sketches. We did a Vincent Price once that, uh, with uh, John Hamm, where he was James Mason. That, that was a lot of fun, where I felt very relaxed. And uh, I did uh, Rick Perry once on Update when he was drunk, and that, that was fun. Maybe there's something Sometime. to the drinking thing. Yeah, drinking. Uh, but yeah, it was, it, was, it, it was more just the not, the, it, it was more just feeling out of control or un, un, uneasy with, because they would just hand you a thing and say, hey, this changed, and now this is this. And, right. Well, I will know. say there's something to a bunch of people scurrying around in headsets, counting down. Oh, well, that, that's the thing, is that Jenna, I love her. Jenna, her stage manager, I love her dearly. She's one of the most beautiful human beings on the planet. But she's worked there for so long, and when she does the countdown, she, she's so terrified. <laughs> it's like, five minutes! <laughs> Three minutes, three minutes there, Bill, where are you? And, and you can't not be like, oh, you know. Yeah. I did Elliot Spitzer once on a cold open, and I don't, I've never, I, I got so nervous doing that that when it ended the next day, I got, I mean, I had a fever, chills, like my whole body broke down, and I was sick for like a week because I, I got so just, my defenses were up the whole week doing it, and I just, I just didn't enjoy it. If you watch me, I'll be like doing something, and I'm, I, I don't know what to do with this hand. <laughs> it's like all the inner, all my nervous energy goes right up into this arm, and I'm just going like this. So that was the thing with Stefan was that I could, I could talk slow and put my hand over my mouth, which is kind of what I want to do. And I remember I always thought I, you were just hiding when you're laughing. No, that's kind of what I just kind of want to do is just cover my face for some reason. I remember I did an update feature. So John Malkovich or Carville, and I had my hand in front of my face the entire time I was doing it. I remember Alex Bays going, dude, you gotta put your hand down. I can't, no one can see your face and you're like talking down. And then I was like, I know, I'm just nervous. I'll, I'll work on it, you know. A few times in my life when I've gone through anxiety and, and fear and, and I always thought it was my gut telling me you have to make a change. Yeah, yeah. And, and it seems like there's valid logic to, oh, all this is happening to me physically. I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah, it is a feeling of your, you, it's that, and that was what we kind of put into Barry is like you're built for something, uh, but, you know, but, you know, there's something about you that the, in your mind and your emotions that can't handle it. It's like this, this weird dichotomy in your your body you know it's it's like oh you're able to do these impressions you could do these characters and and all these things and uh yeah, does the voice and, stuff come so quickly to you and yeah but since i was a kid but my sisters do it my dad does it like we all when we tell stories we we do voices and so that was always a thing i remember being before i hit puberty doing bart simpson and everybody would call kids or like watch she does bart simpson and i would do bart simpson like and it was just like a imitating teachers and stuff, but it was something that, I, to be honest, I kind of just took for granted that I was, that I had that ability to do that. Right. And then, uh, you know, I think we have a progress report from my French teacher that says, uh, uh, Bill uh, is very funny in class. He'll probably be on Saturday Night Live someday. You're kidding Yeah, 37%. <laughs> <laughs> What he won't be doing. <laughs> he will not be speaking French. 
uh, but I was constantly joking around, but a lot of that joking around is, is like a nervous energy of, of, uh, you know, and, 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 and wanting to, that it's, uh, it's okay to be kind of just quiet and silent, you know, there's always like right. that silence starts to make you a bit, oh gosh, what, what's going on here? Are we okay? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think I grew up that. in a house, I grew up in a house where everyone, a lot of noise and everyone talking and a lot of, you know, I had two younger sisters and my, my parents are both very kind of outgoing people and, and, uh, so, uh, yeah, it took me years to figure out when someone was quiet around me that they weren't mad at me. <laughs> you know, I always feel like, what did I do? You know, and it's like, I'm thinking. Say something. I'm just eating my asparagus or whatever. And I'm like, well, what did I do? You know, I was very, uh, I was very touchy. <laughs> God. <laughs> and, then, and then you just kind of go, relax, man. <laughs> You just, it's your, it's your head, you know? Yeah, and I would imagine that's hard to present a sketch and, and if someone's sitting there thinking about it or whatever, you want to jump in and go, okay, that one, that one wasn't any good. Oh, I did that yesterday. I were like, you know, I, I, I called someone from SNL yesterday and said, hey, we were thinking about t possibly doing a monologue like this and I did it. And she went, oh, okay. And it was quiet. I go, or not, or not. We don't have to do it. You know what? Let's not do it. Click. <laughs> You're like, delete contact from delete phone? Delete contact. I didn't know. I just threw the phone out the window <laughs> and then just sat down like, oh, gosh. Oh, no. Yeah, no. But I don't want to give the impression that I'm like, you know, this nervous wreck all the time. It really is just in terms of like um, anticipating something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, anticipatory anxiety and, and getting up in front of an audience. Like, the I, things like, you do on Saturday Night Live. The things that, the, uh, yeah. Well, there's something you said that I wanted to bring up. You, you've said it, and you said it in several different ways. Um, you said that nobody knows anything. Yeah. And to be an artist and hear those words, I think, is incredibly reassuring. Yeah. Because to hear it from someone who's, you know, who's had success on the highest level and to still say, you know, the way to great art is to not think that I know what I'm doing. And, and when, you, when I hear you talking about all of this, all the anxiety and everything, I feel like the common denominator is you just didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, you just, it's the, the uh, yeah, the unknowable aspect of it. And the out of control yeah, aspect of it, right? The out of, of, out of it, control right? aspect of it. You just want to be able to control things and you just, you can't. But that's where the best stuff comes out of. And, and you always, the funny thing is, is that you just have to trust yourself, you know, that you'll be able to get through these things, you know? And, and instead of saying, what if, say, so what? You know, is comedy still a mystery? To oh, you? totally. Why something works in uh, uh, any way? I have no idea. You know, all you could just is just follow your instincts and and just say, well, like I was saying earlier with like the emotion of things. Is that something I can relate to? You know, is that something you relate to or? But it's it's a lot of it is instinctual, and it's like, what's the truth of this? Would be this instead of. Let's find a dumb joke here. Right. And I think also, like, when you're younger, it's fun just to be funny. You kind of just like stuff that's stupid. Right. You know, and you just, I mean, that was my favorite comedy forever. And I would actually like go. Like Monty Python. like the Yeah, Monty Python and Airplane and Naked Gun and all that stuff. And I still love that stuff. But when you're young, you love it. And then as you get a little older, you actually start to experience life uh, 
and then you, you, you have like a, a little bit more sympathy for your characters in some places. And then also you get, uh, you see in comedy sometimes how kind of easy that is, you know what I mean, of just coming up with gags right. or bits or whatever. It's a lot harder to make just a story make sense and, and you know, a person's emotional journey makes sense, you know? Does it feel like cheating when you fall back on like something that you know you could do easily? Uh, no, but it's a thing Alec taught me, which was, you know, if it feels like a joke, we should cut it. You know, right. if it feels like a joke, let's just, I'd rather have nothing there than a thing that feels like we're pushing the comedy, you know, which is kind of scary. Yeah, you know? I, I mean, what yeah. you're saying is like, okay, here's this guy we know who's come up in comedy and sketch, and and you, what you're talking about is you've been relieved of the burden of having to... Yeah, well, sometimes you just go like, well, do you need a, a laugh here? And sometimes you feel like you do, but then sometimes it's better just to have nothing there and just let it be what it's supposed to be. And then, right. and then the funny thing is that it makes all these other, the other comedy kind of come up. It's, it's a weird, I would see it in the cut, especially when we would edit it, and you would take out a kind of a big swing joke and suddenly these other little moments that didn't really feel funny to me suddenly like rose up and became really funny. But if you were thinking of like, uh, just because there's a space there where there's no laugh, and then you go, well, we gotta manufacture something, it, you run the risk of it now, it, it doesn't feel real. I don't know what right. world I'm in. Well, it'd be like making a show by committee and showing it and then. Yeah, and they go, couldn't there be a laugh right here? Um, and HBO doesn't really do that, which was nice. I mean, the, there's an episode seven of Barry where there's uh, a bunch of stuff that happens in that episode that's really uh, just awful and, and <laughs> well, sad. we can look forward to yeah, that. Yeah, it's sad. <laughs> you can look forward to that, but it's really uh, a very emotional uh, kind of, uh, it's, it's the episode that everybody, when they've seen them all, they go, geez, that was, wow. Uh, that, we didn't know it was gonna go there. Um, HBO didn't bat an eye, I had it. And, and, and it was that thing where it's like, oh, can we have scenes like this? So a lot of it is just like, leave it alone. Just let it just play itself out, you know? It's like you kind of put all these things, you know, on top you of the You wound everything up. You wound everything up and then you let go and just see what happens instead of going, well, I gotta really want this to go here because it'd be really funny if this happened. Go, I feel like we're pushing it. You know, you would hear that a lot in the writer's room. Liz Sarnoff, who's one of our writers, is great at going, I feel like you're pushing it, guys. And you go, yeah, you're right. You know, oh. or you, we really would get excited about these two characters meeting, you know, where these two characters hook up with each other or whatever. And, you know, sometimes people just go, why? You know, <laughs> you go, well, because, uh, and I think what happens sometimes is people, maybe they get, I don't know if they get too successful or whatever, but I, I've seen people sometimes surround themselves with a bunch of people who go, that's great. <laughs> you know, that is so funny, you know, yeah. and it's like, uh, man, I, uh, you know, I need someone there, you know, I like a room, a very small room of people who go, what? <laughs> you know, and, and challenge you on everything, you know. I'm fascinated <laughs> with this because, because I think what you're saying is simultaneously, like, you have to be able to give up control, and you also, you have to keep your impulses in check of, of oh, I can make this funny. Yeah. It's almost like your path has been to prove that 
whatever your weird interests are, they're <laughs> yeah. valid. To take the thing you're most interested in, the weirdest, most specific thing to you, and put it out there in the world and have other people respond to yeah, it. Yeah, and, and, and go, well, this is honest. I don't understand it, you know. Uh, you know, you have these, you know, I could have done a show about a guy getting a sketch comedy show and getting on SNL and not knowing what to do, but that wouldn't be very interesting for me to right. try that. You know, more interesting to have it be, because I think violence and, uh, um, you know, like uh, the beginning of 2001, you know, like the, you know, the, the first thing the humans did was beat the shit out of each other, <laughs> you know? And then this inherent violence in people is something that I find interesting. And I've always found interesting in movies and stories and things like that. And and um, I don't know why, you know, but I just do. And so it's like, well, I want to write a, something about someone hating that in themselves and and trying to get rid of it and... and uh, and trying to get in touch with his emotions and what that brings up in him. You know? Right. Well, at the core, it's a story about someone figuring out who they really are. Yeah, right? I think people could relate to that of, of having a job that you hate, and then, but I want to do this, but I'm not really good at this thing. You know, you see that happen, and I mean, it happened to me in some way, you know. I, I think I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm bad at filmmaking. I just don't feel like it came as easily to me as doing voices and being funny you right know? and so it was something you had to you know you but you had I, i'd be so much more interested in like um storyboarding a sequence than going up on stage and performing but, but it is it is notable that like you're basically the guy that got called straight to the NBA from high school, yeah. dropped a 40 on somebody, and yeah. then it's like, yeah, but I don't know if the NBA is I really for me. I want to work on cars. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is I a I want to have my own garage. <laughs> Why? Why? I don't know. I just want to have my own garage. But it's, a, it, it's that's that irony. It's a thing that that's doesn't come... It comes at a weird cost. <laughs> well, listen, I, I like you and I admire you because I think they're... There are examples of those people that they're too afraid to, you know, go do the thing and try the thing that they really want to do. And yeah, so and I'm in a lucky position because of SNL and this thing I did for eight years that, I mean, don't get me wrong, I want to make this very straight. I had a lot of fun there. It wasn't like I was hating my life every moment. I really learned so much and I, I owe sitting here everything to SNL. I mean, that's that's the... Well, I, I mean, mean, you I mean, are across the street. I'm across the street. You but, probably could have talked yeah, your way in. I walked in here and I <laughs> put a mic on myself and Jared Leto or someone's out there being like, why can't... Wait, who's in there? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 I had a lot of fun and I really enjoyed it. Um, so I don't, I don't... It's never like... It's not uh, hating it. It was just that it came at this cost that I had to try to to um, just manage like I'm talking about. I think really what it is, I get uncomfortable when it's the, a lot of attention's on me. I get I think that's what it is too. It's, I just don't like it when there's the attention on me. I think it makes me nervous. Again, that makes total sense. It makes that. sense and I start, and, I, and the funny thing is a lot of people when they have the attention on them, they kind of get quiet and I weirdly can't stop talking. <laughs> I weirdly just start running at the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, and that's usually a sign of uh, 
you know, I met George Saunders, one of my favorite writers, and Tobias Wolf are two of my favorite writers. Yeah. And I got to go to a dinner or lunch with them. It was they lunch didn't with get other people. <laughs> I talked the whole fucking... <laughs> I, I was driving back going, what is wrong with you? You know, is that awful feeling when you're just driving back going, what is wrong? Like, these are two of the most amazing minds on the planet to me, and I'm such a massive fan of them, but I was so... Uh, nervous that I would not stop speaking and in my head I'm going Bill stop talking but you can't you guys because it's just like because if I stop talking you guys are gonna I don't know uh, I don't know what it is uh, well uh, listen I you could talk all day on this show because I'm fascinated by you and and I think that I don't understand the artist that that keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And so I, I really admire what you're doing oh, with the show. Oh, thank you, man. And I appreciate it. It's nice to get to know you a little bit. Oh, thanks, bud. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, and now, you know. I'll be your Ed McMahon, too, if you need a... Great. Just a guy around the corner. I love it. Going, that's right, Jared Leto. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can just hide behind the wall and pop out every now and then when... It's like, well, that's interesting, Octavia Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello. <laughs> Our guest is going to go home with a, <laughs> a <laughs> new color television yes. set. You get the Jawbox. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me, man. Hey folks, that's our show for today. Thanks for listening. I really enjoyed talking to Bill, and I would recommend diving deep into all of his work, even if you end up like me, sleep-deprived at 3 a.m., watching old SNL sketches. And you should definitely check out Bill's new show, Barry, on HBO. And also, don't miss Documentary Now, which you can find on IFC and Netflix. I also highly recommend his 2014 film, The Skeleton Twins, also starring Kristen Wiig. So check all that out. Now... For those of you who are new to the off-camera experience, we're a little different from other podcasts out there in the sense that we are first and foremost a TV show. So if you're liking the podcast experience, I guarantee that you will love the TV experience even more. You can head straight to our website, offcamera.com, and get a monthly subscription to the show. For just $4.99 a month, you can have unlimited access to our entire archive to watch on any device as many times as you want. So please, check that out. It's a great way to support the show. And maybe the best way to support the show is just by not keeping it to yourself. Tell your friends about Off Camera through all those pesky social media channels. We are Off Camera Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I am Sam Jones on Twitter and Sam Jones Pictures on Instagram. And if you want to write me an email, I love hearing from listeners on just about any subject. So if you have a guest suggestion or just want to share something about your artistic life, drop me a line. I'm Sam at OffCamera.com. I'm also happy to forward on emails to anyone on our staff that you wish to personally thank for all their hard work. There's Crawford Shippey, who produces the show and actually finds all of these iconic artists and somehow convinces them to come on the show. There's Sasha Snow, who manages our studio and assists in all the logistics. And there's Nathan Shields, who mixed and edited the very sounds you are listening to right now. There's Michaela Galvin, who's responsible for all the visual aspects of Off Camera. There's Amy Jones, who makes us sound a little bit smarter. And Kara Johnson, who painstakingly writes down every word that is said on the show. 
Lastly, there's Matt Davidson, who, truth be told, I'm just not sure what his title is, but the whole place would fall apart without him. These are the people that I count on every week to make this show a reality. And I'm lucky that they all believe in what we are doing and that they work so hard to make it happen. So if you love what we're doing, don't keep it a secret. Share it with the world. Thank you very much. See you next time off camera.